In our last section, we looked at the importance of not forgetting what our lives were like before Christ. For those of you that were there, you remember how we kind of connected the dots of understanding more fully how God's grace works means don't forget what He's done for you. And as you don't forget that without Him, you're without hope, and without the promises of God, it helps us in our interpersonal relationships with those that may be on a different uh, time frame of their, in their relationship with the Lord and how we're to interact with other people. Because we've been shown so much grace, we in turn show grace to others. We also saw that though we were afar off, God has brought us near to Him through the person of Jesus. And what, a, what an amazing thing that is. That though we were way out there, that God has brought us near to Him. That we have a relationship with Him. Now, over the last probably month or so, we've seen kind of a heightened level of stress in our culture, in our society, in our country. Uh, heightened, heightened levels of animosity and anger and frustration. And I was thinking about this, and I'd like to present you with this question. I mean, have you ever wondered how people from such different backgrounds and different cultures and different life experiences, different stages in life, maybe they're single or married or parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, maybe from different income levels or different educational backgrounds, even different religious backgrounds, that all of these different types of people can find such love, community, and fellowship in the church. Have you ever wondered and actually stopped to think about that? With all the problems that are happening in our society today and how polarizing it just seems that issues are, are, are becoming in our country, have you ever stopped to think about how miraculous it is that people from all over the place come together and are friends, and even more so than that, our family in the body of Christ? This morning, I have just one point for us that we're going to be looking at because it's a pretty massive one, and it is this. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. In verse 14 of Ephesians 2, it says, For Jesus Himself, for He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. In context, we're coming on the heels of the Jews and the Gentiles, two completely opposite people groups that now He has brought together as one. Now, in our lives, sometimes peace is just so difficult to find. It could even be that in every corner of our lives, there is something that is going on that is stressful, that is painful, that's an attack. And then yet, even in spite of that, we know that we have one little place of our life where there's peace. And it might just be a quiet area, or it might be a friend that we have to confide in, and we can talk to and find safety, but then that friend comes down on us, or that friend is a jerk, or whatever it might be. And then we find that even in our areas where we try to retreat to, that there's still no peace. Maybe it could be that, you know, you're in survival mode. A lot of young parents find themselves in survival mode. 
where it's just make it one more day. Maybe just in life now, regardless of your parental status or not, it's just we got to stay alive. We got to just keep going. We got to make it through this day or this week or this month. And so you make it through the day and then you make it through the week and then you make it through the month only to find out that there is now another challenge that you're faced with. And it's just one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. Jesus said that in this world we would have tribulation. But He also followed up that statement with, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now not only is this statement of Jesus really a reality check for those that believe that Christians never experience difficulty, trials, or tribulations. Well, I I never do. I don't know about you. But it's actually affirming the fact that we do regularly find ourselves in situations that cause, listen to this, conditional peace to escape us. Conditional peace escapes us. Conditional peace, those things that we rely upon to find peace. When they are removed, so is our conditional peace. Now, it may be that in your job, you might have a very important presentation that you have to pitch before a very massive prospective client. And so you're not too peaceful about that right now. Maybe you understand that we're getting towards the end of the school semester, and so you realize that in your chemistry 2 class that you have a massive final that you have to prepare for. Your peace has escaped you. Maybe you're in an internship coupled with pro bono work. Maybe it could be something to do with your family or your health, your relationships. Maybe it's your marriage. And you're like, I can't even come home and find peace. I can't even leave the house and find peace. See, Christians wrestle with all of these things and even more and We don't have enough time to deal with all those things and mention them today, but the bottom line is this. We want peace. I want to be able to lay my head down on my pillow at night and be able to... (gasps) Peace. H.G. Wells, many of you know him, he's the English novelist who wrote The Time Machine in, in that book, The War of the Worlds. He says this, and I quote, The time has come for me to reorganize my life. My peace, I cry out. I cannot adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. Here I am, 64, still seeking peace. It's a hopeless dream. End of quote. The problem is that apart from Jesus, you will not have lasting, unconditional peace. I mean, our country, the United States of America, doesn't seem very united. Really, it seems the divided states. I really think for any of us, it's probably not too far a stretch of the imagination to see some modern form of the civil war taking place between liberals and conservatives. I mean, we're divided on race, sexual preferences, male and female, and the colors of our skin. That's our country. That's what's happening today. And they seem to only be getting more magnified and worse. 
In context of our message today, there couldn't be two people groups separated more from each other than the Jews and the Gentiles. They hated each other. They looked down upon each other. They tried to avoid each other. You know, it's like different gangs that you have in different cities. My friend Jose, pastor of Hope Central Watts, in the city of Watts, the very city he tried to escape his entire life, he grew up in, the Lord called him back there to pastor a church. And he talks about the different gangs that are associated with the different housing projects and the different streets and the neighborhoods. And you have different ethnicities that hate each other because not only the color of their skin, but because of the street that they live on. See, if I personally don't have peace, then war with others is going to perpetuate itself. If I'm not filled with peace, then I will not be able to live at peace. And so the very thing that people are crying out for, peace, is not found outside of themselves. It must first be discovered personally, and then from that place, peace flows. So it's important to understand that personal peace cannot be derived from the person who is seeking it. And if you were paying attention to the last two things that I said, you probably just thought, that's a contradiction. That's a contradiction. I just said that a person must be able to find peace internally, not from an outside source. And then I just said that peace internally cannot be derived from that person. So how does that make sense? The question must logically be asked. If peace must first be discovered personally, and peace cannot be derived personally, then how can peace truly be realized? Think about it. Now listen, as complex of a question that may have been and get the wheels and gears of your mind turning, the answer is very simple. You must first have peace with God in order to have peace from God and there are no workarounds for His peace. When Jesus was born, the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. In John 14, 27, as Jesus said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So at my friend's church, Jose's church, Hope Central Watts, you have young men and women You have older men and older women getting saved and they're all coming from different neighborhoods showing up to the same church. Seeing each other. Recognizing each other. But now they're Christians. The same person that you were told to shoot 
is now the same person that you're sitting next to in church. The only way that that happens is with Jesus. There is no other way of lasting peace in the world apart from Him. It cannot be legislated. It is not going to be voted in. It is not going to take place apart from Jesus. See, Jesus will bring peace to the world by bringing peace to man. Because if I don't have peace, then how can I have peace with my fellow man? There's an amazing true story about Horatio Spafford. Some of you may recognize his name. But he is a businessman in Chicago. And he sent his wife and three daughters to Europe by ship while he remained back in the States, intending to join them later. En route, there was a terrible storm and a shipwreck during which their three daughters drowned. Mrs. Spafford made it to safety and wired back to her husband saying, all of our daughters have been lost, only I have been saved. He took the next vessel and as they came near the place where his daughters drowned, the skipper of the ship pointed to the place where the other ship had gone down. And it was there on the deck of that ship that he wrote these stirring words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrow, like sea billows, roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. We've sang that hymn in churches for years and he was the one that wrote the lyrics to it. It is well with my soul. You cannot have peace that is conditional last. The only peace that lasts is unconditional peace that comes from the only one who can give it, who is God. Jesus will bring peace to the world by bringing peace to man. And when man has peace, he will be at peace with his fellow man. And so in Romans 12, 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men. As it says in Romans 14, 19, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, as much as depends on you, live at peace with those around you. Because Jesus has made you at peace with God, live at other, live with others in peace and be in peace. Even with people that once were your enemies or that you were predisposed to not like. So really the question is, how can people who formerly hated each other live in harmony with those same people? Well, it says in verse 14, for He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. The color of our skin separates us. Whether we're male or female, that separates us. What city or state we're from, that separates us. But what he's saying here is that it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are, that in the body of Christ, we are one. 
And that is how you can only experience the miraculous, life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you are saved from your sin, He brings people that were the furthest away in together to the family. He is our peace who has made both one. In context, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. It means the Jews and everybody else in the world. He has now taken two people groups that were polar opposite and through their faith in Jesus has made them one in the body of Christ. And so through Jesus, the middle wall that separated man from God has been removed and then the wall that separated man from man has been removed. And how did He do that? Well, it says in verse 15, having abolished in His flesh the enmity. That is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Now, the Bible tells us that those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all has been made new. That is a truth from God's Word. That means you are not the same old man and you're not the same old woman. You are a new creation in Christ. And when God makes all things new, He not only makes us new, He makes how we view life new. He makes our relationships new. He, he, he takes them from their fallen state and their perverted state, the consequences of sin that have affected it in such a terrible way, and He restores and He redeems and He reconciles man to Himself and then His creation with each other. What an amazing thing. In Galatians 3.28, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not saying that there are not Jews. And he is not saying that there are not Gentiles. And that there is no such thing as men or women, those that are slaves or those that are free men. For there are. And each of those things were levels of status and position in their culture. Being a Jew was superior to being a Greek in Judaism. Being a man was superior to being a woman in the culture. Being a free man was superior to being a servant. Yet, in God's economy, those things do not bring any different level of standing. You are all one in Christ. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be a Gentile. You don't have to be a man. You don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be an employer or an employee. The Lord sees us as one in Christ because of our faith in Him. And if you're in faith, then you're of what we see in the Bible as being of Abraham. What does that mean? Abraham was just one that was righteous. He served the Lord. And if you're of those that serve the Lord, then you're of the family of God. And this is particularly important to understand because the Jews had such a false sense of pride because Abraham was their forefather. But true sons of Abraham are those that have faith and believe in the promises of God. And even in our own you know, church culture of the United States, which even is dwindling, by the way, we can have such a false sense of spiritual pride based upon 
maybe where our parents went to church or what happened with my great-granddad, you know, or whatever it might be, as if somehow that gets passed down to you. Every person is responsible for their own relationship with the Lord. There's no room for self-righteousness. Those that are trying to work their way to heaven are trapped in their own self-righteousness and are separated from fellowship with God. If you think, if I think, I'm just going to earn my way, I'm going like this to the promises of God and I'm pushing my relationship with the Lord away. Because those who have faith have given every right, have been given every right of a child of God and are heirs to the promises of God. Jesus brings peace through forgiveness. We're going to circle back around with this. Jesus brings peace through forgiveness because forgiveness brings reconciliation. Remember, when sin entered the world, man was separated from God. When Jesus provided forgiveness for man, there was no longer this war, this as the Bible says, and we don't really use the word enmity too often these days. You're at enmity with me right now, you know, but it's talking about war, dissension, division. The Lord has reconciled you to Him through forgiveness. If you've wronged someone, if they forgive you, typically reconciliation follows. Hey, I'm sorry. I was in a bad mood. I said something I didn't mean. Would you please forgive me? And they forgive you. And instead of the silent treatment, you're now going out and having dinner together and it's just like it was prior to your little spat. So, Forgiveness can bring reconciliation. When God forgives man through his faith in his son, so man puts faith in God's son, forgiveness is given, and man is reconciled to God. But see, when we are forgiven, we realize I must have sinned. If I've sinned and God's forgiven me, then that must mean that I am a sinner who needed forgiveness. And so the very thing that enemies have done to each other has every opportunity through the power of God to be reconciled through me being at peace with God through forgiveness and now me having the peace of God, I live at peace with man through even forgiveness because I have been forgiven and now I forgive. I see my reconciliation to the Lord and I see reconciliation to those that were my enemies or those that didn't look like me or think like me or live in my neighborhood. And it says in verse 16 that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby putting to death the enmity. So, we become one in Christ. Part of the body known as the church. And it really doesn't matter how far off someone is when it comes to sin. I think this is important for us to understand. Sin separates us from God, whether it's a little sin or a big, gigantic sin. Because you can miss the standard of God's holy righteousness by one inch or by one mile, and you've still fallen short of the glory of God and you are still separated, whether it's an inch or it's a mile. You still miss the mark. But, it says in verse 17, that Jesus came and preached peace 
to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through Him we have both access by one Spirit to the Father. To those that were far off, those that were near. The Gentiles would be considered far off. The Jews would have been considered near. And as I have stated last week and have stated in times before that, those inside the church need Jesus just as much as those outside the church need Jesus. If you come into church and think, hey, I'm cool, I'm in church, I grew up in church, I understand, and you do not have a personal relationship with God, you are separated from the Lord. That's why we preach salvation through faith in Jesus. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. You're not going to earn your way. It is only made possible through faith in Jesus. And so that's what this church is all about as we teach through God's Word. Know who you are in Christ. And if you cannot say with 100% certainty that you, put, that you have put your faith in Jesus, then you should today. You should give your life to Jesus today and see the great work that will take place in your life. Because it says again in verse 17 that through Jesus we have access to the King of Kings. We have access. Even in, in, in many of the commentators point to the oriental traditions of royalty where somebody would need to be presented in court. Maybe you've seen uh, in the court of the king. And, and, and maybe you've seen this in films or whatever where you know, the guy comes walking in with his staff and he taps it two times on the floor. Now presenting you know, so-and-so. And they're presented to the king. It says this is the same kind of terminology that's used when you're presented before the King of Kings, the Heavenly Father, that we have access through faith in Jesus. I mean, just as a side note, at the end of verse 18, you know, because oftentimes in the church the, the, the subject of the Trinity is attacked. When do you ever see the Trinity working? The Trinity is not found in the Bible. That word doesn't exist. Yeah, you're right. The word Trinity doesn't exist. It's what we call the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in complete perfect harmony in verse 18 we see the working of the trinity which is just cool and again as i said as a side note it says through jesus by one spirit to the father so what happens when christians from different backgrounds have problems with each other what happens when christians that have come from different walks of life are now in the same house and they begin to have a problem with each other. You know what's fascinating about that is, you know, often there can be very, it's very sad, where Christians fight against each other and they're terrible to each other and they're mean to each other. That's not a work of the Holy Spirit, that's the work of the flesh. It's important to know too that if somebody's working in the flesh, they cannot please God, it's impossible. And that not everybody who says, hey, I'm a Christian, is actually a follower of Jesus. Because you'll know them by their fruits. And if the stuff that's coming out of their life is completely contradictory to what they're professing, then that should cause you to take a step back. And if you've ever been offended or hurt or mistreated by somebody that has professed Christianity, then you need to take a step back and look at, hey, is this person truly reflecting who Christ is or are they truly reflecting what the lusts of the flesh look like? But, in the church, when there are people from different backgrounds and they're Christians and they have problems with each other, the best thing that we can think of, which might even be the most frustrating thing, is this. Jesus, the one who saved you, is the same Jesus that also saved them. 
The one that saved them is also the one that saved you from your sins. And so the church, regardless of how you feel about it, is one body, the body of Christ. Those that were moral people in this world that needed saving from their sin, and those that were immoral people that needed saving from their sin, both now are family. God's family. The people that grew up in their perfect little lives and had everything handed to them on a silver platter and they grew up with this sense of morality but they didn't have Jesus. Jesus saved them. For those that grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and had every bad thing that could possibly happen happen to them, Jesus saved them. And now He's brought people from all different backgrounds and He's brought them into the family. He's removed the wall of separation that was between them and God and then now them and each other. And because of the reconciliatory work of Jesus through His death on the cross and really just to contrast what we look at verse 12, would you just look down at verse 12 again where it says that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, verse 19, therefore, so you were once this, now therefore, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Amen to that. You are no longer alienated from the people of God. You are no longer estranged from the rights that a citizen of the kingdom of, kingdom of God is granted through faith in Jesus. They belong to you. And because you're no longer apart from Christ, you are no longer excluded from the blessings of God's promises to His people. This is you. You over here on this side and you over here on that side. You are no longer strangers to the people of God because you're now family, one in Christ. And that is how male and female and red, yellow, black, and white, dark and light and translucent dwell in perfect peace in the family of God. Because it doesn't matter the color of your skin. Doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old. The family of God is one in Christ. Jesus builds the person, and the person is part of the church, and Jesus builds the church. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I'm so thankful for that. That the work which He started in each of us, you and me, He's faithful to complete. The work that He started here at this church, He's faithful to complete. We're, we're rounding third base on year number four. We turn five in January. We're coming in. And we're ready for the great things that the Lord is going to do and He's already done. I mean, I'm thinking about this more than ever. As we turn five on January 5th, what was 18 people in a house prayer group has turned into a church 
where people love the Lord and love each other. They love God's Word. They love worshiping. They love serving. They love going back to their families and being that influence. They love going back to their community and being that influence. And it's because of the work of God's Holy Spirit in the lives of His people. Because Jesus builds the person, Jesus builds the church. And then in verse 20 it says, having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul wrote and said, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation for all spiritual growth, whether that be fruit cultivated in your life or really being just the person that God has created you to be. Building you up. Paul led people to the foundational truth of salvation through Christ. He did not lay a foundation of warm fuzzies, self-help, self-realization, or self-improvement. As a wise master builder, one that would plant these churches, he laid the foundation first. He says, Paul literally says, that for the church and for the man or woman of Christ, there is no other foundation that can be laid. You are the building that God is building. You are His workmanship. The foundation is Jesus Christ. The foundation for everything that we do is Jesus, that chief cornerstone. As a church, collectively, we need to be careful that we aren't laying any other foundation than Jesus Christ. We need to be careful to not forget that we don't build the church, Jesus does. Now, I personally love reading really old commentaries. Some of these guys just have a paradigm on life and scriptures that are very unique. But I was very surprised, but perhaps I shouldn't have been, by some of these older commentaries from 1900, early 1900s. Talking about man's attempt to build the church. And these commentators were referring to things such as fundraising campaigns, Tremendous, quote-unquote, tremendous programs, marketing strategies, psychologically enticing letters asking for donations. I thought that stuff only happened today. But it's happened since the beginning. We're not building the church. Jesus builds the church. Thank God for that. Jesus is building you. You don't build you. Jesus does. Thank God for that. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, where it says in verse 21 and 22, in whom the whole building, the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. There has never been a time before where we need to be one in Christ. There's never been a time before where I think it's as important to be one in Christ. Because we're the work of God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the family of God. We need, be, we need to be an example to the world outside these four walls. Because out there, it's psycho. It's crazy. The things that are happening in our world. People who have lost their minds. 
They've lost their peace. They don't have it. And honestly, the world's not going to be able to provide it for them, and they can't provide it for themselves. You know, in house groups, we're going through the book of Daniel, and we're going to be looking at, in our uh, next round, some of the prophecies pertaining to the end times, how we're going to see that to the very end of the world, mankind will be looking for peace until Jesus comes back. It'll even be really, you know, uh, President Trump is known for MAGA, you know, make, make America great again. Everyone knows, hey, make America great again. Everyone knows who says that. So the, the Antichrist is going to be known for make the world peaceful again. He's going to be the one that is supposed to enter, uh, usher in uh, peace to the world. And so we are going to see those prophecies in the book of Daniel. We're going to continue studying through God's Word. We're going to make it all the way to Revelation. And we're going to see how that the very thing that we're talking about today, how people from different backgrounds can find peace through Jesus and then with each other through Jesus, the world's going to reject that until the very end where we're going to see the Antichrist step onto this world and somehow lead people in what they think is going to be peace, which is really the beginning of what will be the most awful, awful time that the planet has ever seen, what we know as the Great Tribulation. So for us as the church, don't forget that we're that we were without Christ, that when we were without Christ, we were without hope. We were alienated. We were separated. We were far off. But He brought us near. Don't forget that there were, that wall that separated us between, separated us and God that was between us has been removed and that the same wall that separated us between other people has been removed because of Jesus. And that's what the family of Christ is all about, the body of Christ, what we know as the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for this place where we can come and worship You and study Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would continue to have Your way here in this final quarter of 2018. We ask, Lord, that we would finish this year strong. Lord, we ask that You would please forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray if there are any here that do not know You personally as their Lord and Savior, as was mentioned earlier, that today they would give their life to You. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning, or if you're watching online from some other place or listening to this podcast, and you've never given your life to Jesus, you do not know with a 100% rate of certainty that you are saved. You have a relationship with the Lord, then I'd like to give you that 100% certainty today. Not on my own authority, but based upon the authority of God's Word. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. If you confess your sins, He'll forgive you. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. And you will be saved. That with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here and you would like to dedicate your life to Jesus and be forgiven of your sins, then very simply, with every eye closed and head bowed, I'd like you just to say, yes, I'd like to do that by raising your hand. Would you raise your hand and say, yes, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today? If you've walked away from the Lord and you need to rededicate your life to Jesus today, then would you raise your hand as well and say, yes, I'd like to rededicate my life to Christ? Anybody at all? 
just hold your hand up. And if you're watching online or listening to this, you can as well. And I'm going to lead you in this very simple prayer. And would you pray, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be. For I give you my life today.